Um, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a Jimmy Dean's breakfast sausage. So normally I do a what's you know, intermittent fasting, and um, you know I, I basically to, it's an eight by sixteen fast. And the way to do that, I, simplest way is to just skip breakfast. So normally I just skip breakfast. Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit through conversations with extraordinary people. We are here to learn the skills we can use to intentionally create the life we want to live. Within these conversations lie all sorts of lessons learned, epiphany moments, and techniques to navigate the messiness of life, as shared with us by the people living through it. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today I'm joined by Peck Pong Pat. He's a husband, brother, son, CEO of a company called Impeccable, which is a digital product agency that builds web and mobile apps for all sorts of companies. Also an entrepreneur in other respects, you've started several web and mobile apps over the years. Um, I can think all the way back to almost a decade ago, uh, a couple of them. And so uh, I want to talk about all that. But what I'm really interested in, and I would love to just um, get your your take on, is you. I saw your LinkedIn post, and you mentioned that in the early days of your company, Impeccable, that you didn't take it seriously. You kind of thought to yourself, this is something I'll do right now until I figure out what my real idea is. And that just struck me. I was really curious, like, what was that real idea you were waiting for, and why did you feel like you weren't taking your what you were doing at the time, seriously. Yeah. Well, you know, I, by this time I had moved to the Bay area. So I've always, I've been working in consulting in Chicago for over a decade by that time. Right. And I'm kind of in my early thirties and I wasn't going to get younger. I moved to the Bay area to be with a co-founder, a technical co-founder. We iterated on some stuff that, that ultimately failed and we kind of amicably be amicably parted ways and I just needed to feed myself. I needed to make some money. So I was doing consulting. And then uh, what happened was it kind of organically grew. We, I did a lot of work and people were happy and more clients kind of came in and people wanted more hours of me. And at some point I was like, well, I'm going to break. You know, at, at some point I had like three clients who always all wanted me full time and I was working over 80 hours in the Bay Area. And I was like, if, you know, and then we're like three months in and I'm just like, well, I'm making all this money. This is great, but I'm just going to keel over and die if I keep going like this. So I hired a, uh, a person like she was half time and it was great. Like she gave me some relief and I was like, okay. And then, you know, for whatever reason, you know, that didn't work out in terms of kind of the relationship, but I brought in two more people that worked out great. Um, you know, when you're in the Bay Area and everybody around you is raising money, talking startups, talking unicorns, you know, your little agency feels like, you know, well, one, maybe it's my own perception or kind of what I'm picking up is like people are like, oh, okay, so that's that's cute, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, so, but, but what's, you know, what are you working on, right? And so, so then you you kind of feel insecure and you're like, 
yeah, yeah, I'm working on something. I'm thinking of something. I don't, I don't know what to, what it is yet. So that's kind of what was going on in my mind internally. But all the while, the thing was growing, right? Like the the thing was growing, and we had we started, you know, had clients and stuff. I know exactly what you mean. I, I feel like that with my with this podcast. Sometimes I feel like, you know, there's I don't know hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. There's people that have been doing it for decades, and I think like. Well, this is great, but like, this is, like you said, this is cute. Like, this is cute compared to like what's actually happening out there. Why, why do we think like, it's yeah. so funny that we, I think it's a human attribute that we just compare ourselves so much. I mean, you just said yourself that your company had clients. I mean, you had employees, you were doing well, you were creating great work for your clients. And yet, was it the pressure? Was it the Bay Area, you think, specifically? Like, if you were in a different geographic area, do you think you would have had a different perception of your business at the time? Maybe. Probably. I mean, I think the Bay Area is saturated with you know, everybody's trying to, just like in, like, if I were to be in L.A., everybody's either trying to be a star or, you know, pitch their script or trying to direct a movie, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like, whatever your impression was. Um and and it is somewhat true because, um, you know, when you go to the Bay Area and you go to a coffee shop, like there's certain coffee shops that are hotspots, like you can pretty much tell that these people are having some sort of pitch meeting over coffee or somebody's trying to like recruit someone for their startup or find a co-founder. And then I had that moment in L.A. where for, you know, I had a I probably had a conference or business meeting, a client meeting, and I went to hang out at a coffee shop. And sure enough, there are people reading scripts at a coffee shop. You know, like it's like there is a stereotype, but there's some truth to that stereotype, right? And then when you're surrounded by that, you, you know, you you have these things in your head, right? Like you you have, like, oh, I'm different, right? And kind of peeling back the layers. Like I, I used to. For example, I went to a, at one point in my life, the only American school available uh, to me at the time was like a Christian missionary school, which was like, you know, 99% white, you know, 99 plus something percent white. And you're like the only little Asian kid. And you're like, oh, this is different, right? You're, you definitely are different. You stick out like a sore thumb. Um, kind of like the same feeling, right? You're, everybody there is trying to raise money, trying to get into YC, trying to join a startup, trying to, you know, grow, grow, grow their little, you know, their unicorn. And, you know, and you're doing this, this agency thing with that quote unquote doesn't scale. Right. And uh, yeah, it's, you, you can definitely feel, uh, you know, insecure. Oh yeah. Speaking of schools, so you, your parents were diplomats, right? And so you were all around in terms of schools, different countries and things. Mm-hmm. Was that, um, as someone who went to the same school from kindergarten through eighth grade in America, um, I cannot necessarily relate to that. So I'm very curious, different schools has to be hard, but different schools in different countries, like, was it hard to ever feel grounded? Yeah. So when you're young and that's your only reality, that's that's all you know you it's neither bad or nor good that's just your reality sure um you do find 
that you get along with other, dip, you know, you can relate to other diplomat kids, you know, or like maybe military brats if you want to, you know, kind of better. Um, growing up, moving around, that, that was just, yeah, neither good nor bad, but it it is hard to relate to. Yeah, like I, I went to a wedding maybe a few years ago and, and the best, you know, it was a friend's wedding and his, his best man kind of like they were, they grew up in the same neighborhood, you know, they, they would go to each other's houses and their parents knew each other. It was, they were just down the street and they pretty much have spent their lives together. Right. And I was thinking, well, I don't have anything like that. Cause you know, like pre Facebook when you're young and you know, I'm, I kind of be a little older than you. Right. When you move pre Facebook, pre, you know, like as a kid, you might send a few letters and then at some point you kind of just lose touch. Right. And uh, so that's so I don't really have many people that, you know, were uh, like have early childhood friends that we've kept in touch. You know, there's very few of those. Um, yeah. So that was also part of the reason why I think once uh, I became, you know, went to school in Chicago and had a job, uh, you know, and kind of had my own agency while my, my father still had, you know, kept moving and, and still performing his duties. I just decided to just park here in Chicago, like plant roots, right? Uh, yeah, after like a lifetime of just constantly moving, I decided, oh, you know, I'd like to be somewhere for a while and make friendships and, and, you know, have that, you know, it was nice to, you know, to be able to go to a restaurant and have the owner like know you and, and, you know, kind of yeah. having those little things, right. And, and that, that are constants. Um, yeah. How did, how did it feel when you, it sounds like it felt great to have some familiarity with your surroundings and some long lasting relationships. Did it feel yeah. like kind of jarring at first that you were like in one place with some consistency? Did you like miss the kind of spontaneity of never knowing what was next? No, I mean, I, I think people who had, you know, the, the, career of Accenture types, for example, where, hey, you might have lived in a small town all your life, right? And you know the same places, you know the same people, and then you get a job at a big, like, four consulting firm, and then they, you know, then you have, like, the sort of, like, the, the road warrior lifestyle where you get to travel to a different place on every project, you know, Monday through Thursdays. I think it appeals to a lot of people because they, they get to travel and see the world for the first time. For me, when I graduated and got a job, I, I didn't, I was like, okay, I know what that is like. I don't really, you know, I, I didn't have the urge to or yearn to travel the moment that I got a job. I actually wanted to do, I wanted some stability in my life where it wasn't traveling, it wasn't picking up. Uh, yeah. In fact, upon return here, it was interesting because I, I te started texting my old barber <laughs> and it's like, Hey, are you still cutting hair? You know, cause I had been gone like nine years. I was like, Hey, are you still cutting hair? And he texted back. Yeah, I'm still cutting hair. I was like, Hey, I'm going to be right there. And then it just dawned on me at one point. I'm like, it's been like nine years. Is he still even in the same place? Right. <laughs> like he might've moved for all I knew. Right. And I was like, Hey, uh, cause I'm already like, by that time I'm almost there walking. And I'm like, then it just dawned on me. Like I didn't even stop to ask him. But I asked, hey, are you still at the same place? And he's like, yeah. And then that kind of gave me comfort that, you know, there, there's, I think 
I think humans, I think animals, right? Like, I don't know if you know, like with animals, they, they need routine, right? They need, if you change stuff up, they get stressed out. I think humans are like that too, right? There, there's a reason people don't leave their hometown, right? They, because they, they, it's the devil you know, right? There's comfort in knowing versus the unknown. Yeah, absolutely. I think routine plays such a large part in our lives, whether we realize it or not. Because even myself, like I think I'm a very spontaneous, like seeking the unknown or adventurous person, but I catch myself regularly, like especially at night, like looking for a routine of either reading and then snack and then bed or TV snack bed, like some sort of familiar, familiar, familiar routine. Can't talk. So yeah, I... When you were, I'm thinking, so with Impeccable, when you sort of felt that pressure from the Bay Area and kind of felt like what you were doing was cute and maybe not real, why did you keep going, though, with Impeccable? Like, why didn't you buckle under that pressure and chase a real idea, so to speak? Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, I think you do something and it has momentum. Um, It's providing a, a living so to, to be fair, there was all, you know, you can call it chase, but we, we always try to reinvest our, our revenues, our profits into trying to build SaaS internally. So, you know, I, I'm also, I guess, Midwestern in many ways, right? Rather than, hey, just go raise money from angels and pitch. And, you know, there's, there's that kind of bootstrap mentality, like that Midwestern, maybe I call it Midwestern, or maybe like the effect of 37 Signals and Basecamp and, and Jason Fried and DHH had, had some effect on me and that, you know, I, I do prefer to try to t- try to bootstrap my own way um, before, you know, like the, my first gut reaction is not to raise a bunch of money right away, you know, you know try to convince people to give me a, like an angel check or something to build you know, and the initial part was to, to try to bootstrap. Yeah. So we, it wasn't like I wasn't gave up on that or, you know, Hey, we're just doing the agency and that's it. I was always reinvesting that money in, into trying to build something within impeccable. Did that was your sort of long-term goal to build something standalone and then like focus on that and, the agency or or was your long-term goal like whatever happens happens like i'm just in this for you know delivering yeah. great work to clients and then if if yeah. i can productize that and help more clients so be it yeah i think the difference for me as opposed to companies like 37 signals or like envision or mailchimp where they all started with agency and then they kind of shed their agency roots was that i i also liked our clients, I liked our work. I liked doing consulting. Um, so the vision was not always to, oh, this is this thing, and then I'm going to shut it down if I find something that quote-unquote works. Um, ideally, you know, ideally, I I think I would have seen it kind of living, you know, in harmony in some way, or maybe like they split off in some way, but, but having some sort of connection. Yeah. But it was not, you know, we, we don't, uh, you know, unlike other narratives where other companies where, Oh, we hated our consulting clients or 
they sucked and we just shut it down. We, you know, we were having a lot of fun being, being in the Bay area, having those high tech companies, you know, clients like Google and Adobe and, and stuff like does afford us some, some cool and interesting projects. So it was, it was cool to work with them. It was also kind of a source of pride to, to get those clients and, and work on those projects. Um, so it wasn't a, a thing that I was going to just get rid of in that sense. But I also am not like some people had, you know, grand plans. I was kind of just going with the flow of whatever happens, happens. So, you know what I mean? It's not like I had some grand plan for impeccable or this, this SAS thing. Um, you know, I think people sometimes rewrite history, but like for me, I'm, I'm telling you and the audience now that it was not impeccable was organic. Um, you know, I, I had to freelance and make money when all our, my startup ideas failed. Um, and, and had it been a spectacular failure, I might have, um, you know, joined a tight, you know, a, a fang at some point, right? Uh, a Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, what have you, Netflix, but it just kept growing. We, we didn't suck at it and we were, we were pretty decent. Clients were happy. So it just kept going, right? And, and at some point, good work begets more good work. It's amazing how that works, you know? Like, <laughs> like seriously, you know, sometimes the secret sauce is just do good work and then it organically builds upon itself. Right, right. But I, I didn't have any grand plan that we're going to do this and we're going to do this and then we're going to, you know, it's like we, we became a Twilio partner organically. We became, you know, we had relationships with these big, big companies. There was no grand plan that I'm going to do this. And then we're going to take this beachhead. And they're like, no, it's, you know, this is going well. They trust us more. They give us more responsibilities and they trust us with their clients, you know, everything. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. In some way, this, this, this expose is like, Oh shit, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's just all, you know, there's no grand plan. There's no master plan, but you know, we try what works. We do a good job. And, and if there's people trust us with more, we take on more uh, responsibilities. If we see an opportunity, we might move into that opportunity or we might not, if it doesn't feel right. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm smiling because I, I know exactly what you mean. Do you ever feel, here's how I feel sometimes, I feel like no matter what I accomplish or what I achieve or what great work I create that in my eyes is the work, the caliber of work I wanted to create, that there's always something like more that I could be doing or there's something, there's a level up I could be achieving. Like it's almost this never ending, it's almost like the grass is always greener. But it's not, mm -hmm. in my mind, necessarily like being envious or jealous of anyone. It's just like almost between me and myself that there's always the next level. Do you ever feel like that? Like it's, there's always something else that you could be going after? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think my team calls me out that I'm always chasing the next shiny thing, right? Like, why, why can't I just be happy with with this right and uh, it's like i i'm guilty one one of my linkedin posts is like what i'm guilty of is like i could do better fewer things better versus like trying to do everything you know um so that's something that i'm i'm guilty of and it's it's definitely not about the money uh, there's i think 
easier and better ways to make more money if, if that was the, the only metric. Um, yeah, I think it's an internal, you know, drive like yeah, that you can relate to that you, you want to do better. You want to improve. You want to um, do more, accomplish more. Yeah, it's like a, an innate thing, desire. That's what that's what feeds you, I guess. I think like some comedians, you know, I listen to them not when they're performing, but when they're kind of talking about their craft and, and what drives them is their, their, their desires to be loved and make people happy and make people laugh. Right. And that's, that's what drives them. Um, you know, I, I guess for, for entrepreneurs, it's, it's a different thing that makes you tick. <laughs> yeah. Well- what is what is it for you? Like, what is that thing that makes you tick? Because I've heard the similar thing from. I love listening to comedians kind of talk about their craft, and it's always either a desire to make people laugh or a desire to bring comfort and you know to their childhood or life and bring happiness. So I I share that. But for for you as an entrepreneur, what is that thing? Yeah, uh, one thing is is to accomplish. Uh, you know, do, do bigger and better. Uh, another is, well, now, now that I have a team that I'm taking care of is, is to be able to provide for them sustainably. Uh, you know, the, the struggle with agency is it's, it's always a roller coaster ride, right? Like, I mean, the, the only reason even that I, I want to have a SAS is kind of in my mind, that is is somewhat stability right like if like we think about our, the products that we pay for like at impeccable right like we use g suite we use zoom we use slack like we're not just going to cancel that one day right like if if it's bringing value it's a good utility um you're gonna constantly just subscribe right that that provides some stability for for those SaaS companies for agencies projects oftentimes can be transactional, right? We, we can execute really well on a project, like good job, high five. Okay. We're good for now. Okay. Go, go back to hunting, you know, and it's that feast and famine of the, the agency hunt is, is my analogy. Um, so, so that can provide, that can create anxiety, uh, you know, unstable revenues and, 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 and uncertainty for a company. So we, and that's really all that I want is, you know, I don't have huge ambitions to, to be like an Elon Musk to, to, you know, to make like this global impact thing. Um, but, but just providing stability for my tribe is, you know, that's, that's really all I want. <laughs> it's quite simple. Yeah. That's amazing though. I love how you phrased that. You mentioned doing fewer things better is something that you struggle with. And I think, I know I do. I think so many of us struggle with that. Have there been any specific like techniques that you've found that work for you to sort of be able to help with that struggle? I mean, it's just ruthless prioritization. Right? Like you only have 24 hours in a day and you can only be what's, what's more important, right? Like, like even now, you know, I, there's only, the company takes a lot of my bandwidth and, and mind share. And, and I look back, you, you know, during COVID times, people are, are, and they're stuck at home. So what are they doing? Like they're, they're, they're picking up 
old hobbies, right? Like, like, like they're playing the piano again. And I'm like, oh, you know, my, my parents spent a lot of money for me to learn the piano, you know, in grade school and high school and stuff. And I've given that up a long time ago. I was like, you know, it'd be nice to maybe play that again. I was like, well, where am I going to get the time? <laughs> There's like, <laughs> like, that's yet another thing. It's like, oh man, that sounds like a pipe dream. You know, like there's like, okay, that, that, That'd be great at some point, but but right now there's just a lot of things going on and, and a lot of things need to be taken care of. Okay, let, let's that can get punted for a while, you know. Yeah, so just we're just kind of doing a reassessment. Um, also, like what what makes you happy too? Um, yeah, it, it's like I think something that is sustainable needs to. Like if you're only doing it for for monetary reasons or for you know for opportunistic reasons and you're for something to be sustainable, there's got to be some level of of fulfillment, right? Like I, I'm sure, for example, this podcast, you know, um, you probably have sponsorship, yeah. But if it weren't for the fact that you enjoy it and enjoy conversations, it wouldn't, you know, then it feel like a chore. Yeah, I think that's so true for any creator. You got to just enjoy what you're creating at its core mm-hmm. and every time mm-hmm. you do it or it's hard. I always I mean if if the creator isn't excited or enthused or into the work they're creating, then it's I find it hard to believe anybody outside is going to be enthused with that work. So right. I, yeah. yeah. I, I think about that a lot with the podcast. You, you mentioned ruthless prioritization, which I love, but that made me think about um, you. You practice the martial art. Do you pronounce it wushu? Mm-hmm. Wushu. And I'm curious, like, how did wushu come into your life, like this martial art? Because it led to Mortal Kombat, right? <laughs> so, I mean, being Asian, you you grow up with you know watching a lot of kung fu serials and kung fu movies, and so like grew up on like. Jack Chan movies, Jet Li movies, Donnie Yen movies. So like always kind of, you know, those are your heroes, right? Like if you grew up in another culture, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe your hero would be He-Man or something, right? Um, but yeah, kind of growing up in Asian culture, we, we my parents were watching a lot of uh, Wush, you know, it's called Wuxia, which is, kind of like the, the equivalent of the Western equivalent of fantasy, like Western fantasy, kind of like the Lancelot Merlin, right? Like the Chinese kind of had their own fantasy, uh, Chinese martial arts fantasies. Um, so growing up that, and then, then kind of Asian Kung Fu films, I always kind of had that desire to be like, Hey, I want to be like these guys. And, um, also growing up in an Asian culture, uh, a very kind of, scholastic minded like just focus on your studies nothing else is important i think that's the difference between a lot of asian and and western culture i think in the west you know your your parents might encourage you to be good at sports right like like i don't know play soccer or football or whatever sport right um whereas in some asian cultures it's very you know, get good grades, right? Focus on your studies, become a lawyer, doctor, and, you know, then you'll be happy. 
<laughs> so, so most definitely, so what happened was, you know, the moment I graduated, the moment I, I got my first paycheck from a job, I was like, well, this is, you know, I have my own agency, you know, I have agency of my life now somewhat. I'm going to go find a martial arts school and do what I've been waiting to do for most of my life. And uh, so that I was, I ran into the, the closest for serendipity, I guess, the, the closest martial arts kung fu school to, to where I lived at the time in Chicago. Um, one of the instructors there was uh, Master Daniel Pacina, who was the original Johnny Cage from Mortal Kombat, uh, the video game. So video games, uh, part one and two, he was, he was in those games. So anyways, I, I studied under him for many years. And uh, at some point, uh, he, through the grapevine, heard that they were doing... The, the game Mortal Kombat 5 and you know at that time he's probably in his uh, late 40s late 40s early 50s and, you know and I was in my 20s and he's like hey you're you're starting to get good and I you know they're, they're auditioning for MK5 you know we should go audition so I did I uh, did some stuff uh, in front of the Mortal Kombat team uh, you know met Ed Boon the creator of the series you know, did some stuff and they liked it and uh, the rest is history. You know, they, they like what they saw and every time they needed to work on a new game, they would just call me and uh, we'd work on the the moves, the, the cinematics. Yeah, yeah, the motion captures the, the process of basically digitizing your movements. Um, you know, they, you wear a motion capture suit, which I would describe as like a wetsuit made out of Velcro, and then they stick these little dots, reflective dots that infrared cameras pick up, and then they digitize those movements uh, in the computer, and then they map it to like a, a 3D character like like Scorpion or Sub-Zero or whatever, and then they have your moves. Yeah. That must be so fun to know that your moves are powering those <laughs> characters. As someone who, I mean, grew up with this, desire to do martial arts and you know sort of didn't until you were on your own but also kind of grew up with the culture of watching Jet Li and and all those idols did it I don't know if you played a lot of video games as a kid but did it at least feel like you achieved something huge like being a part of this this medium like being in you know being asked to take your martial arts experience uh, experience and, and talent and, and use it for this medium that would then get, you know, played by who knows how many people. It was. So I, I, and I used to love playing video games. That was one outlet that I could have, even though I couldn't go do martial arts, you know, I, I always enjoyed playing fighting games. So, so dating myself, but yeah, I played like virtual fighter, Tekken, so caliber and all those games really enjoyed all those fighting games and uh, so when, when I started studying martial arts, and, and as I, over time, as I got better and better, I enjoyed those games less because, well, I'd rather do the real thing, right? Like, you can play Guitar Hero, or you can play the real guitar, or, you know, <laughs> you can play a simulation of a race car, but if you had, you know, you can play Gran Turismo, but if you had the opportunity to go on a racetrack and, and, and drive for real, I think you would try, enjoy the real experience, uh, you'd find it much more fulfilling and it's much more real. And I was always felt like, yeah, I, I can do that move in, in the game, but you know, to, to do a certain move, you know, and harder, you know, moves in real life was, was much more fulfilling. Yeah. 
That must have been. I I could just. <laughs> I mean, looking back at it now, it must feel like it's just part of your story and who you are. But I feel like at the time, it had to have been one of the most thrilling experiences. It was good, uh, and I would say martial arts. You know, it, it really gave me confidence and shaped shaped my personality and who who I was or who I would become. Uh, I think it gave me a lot more confidence to, to believe in myself. Uh, also, I think a lot of people, I think if you Google what is the, what are people's most you know usual number one fear is a fear of public speaking, for example, right? It rates highly up there. And I definitely was in that camp. Um, but as I got good with martial arts, you know, we, I started you know, getting encouraged to do tournaments and, and, and being involved in, in that. Well, tournaments usually means you're up there performing in front of a crowd of hundreds of people. And like, if you can do that, you can get up, you know, you, you can get up in front of your, an audience and just, just talk, right. Talking is lower fi, right. In terms of, <laughs> and lower risk. So like doing, you know, working, working up to doing a performance is like, Oh, okay. Well, well getting up to speak is much less, you know, scary. Uh, so that definitely gave me some confidence. Yeah. Is martial arts, it strikes me as a very um, individual sport. Like you're competing, I mean, you're competing against others, but you're sort of also competing against yourself and you're sort of a one person team. Although I guess you probably have trainers. Is that, is it, I, I'm not, that's yeah. the way it always felt to me is that it's something you're really competing against yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely less of a team sport than say soccer or football or basketball or volleyball, uh, especially with the types of different dis- disciplines, right? There's, um, in martial arts, there's usually two tracks, if you will. One, one is forms, which is more like routines. So like I would relate it to more like floor gymnastics or figure skating. Uh, and then the other track is sparring, whereas, you know, it's some sort of contact or, or fighting against an opponent. So like MMA fights would be kind of, you know, sparring a match. I, I never enjoyed um, those I don't like violence. It's it's kind of weird and it's kind of ironic, but I, I don't like violence for the sake of violence. I don't like hurting people. And conversely, I also don't like getting punched. So, <laughs> you know, and I think people, some people enjoy that as an outlet, right? Like they, they enjoy giving a beating and taking a beating. For me, uh, the martial arts was always like uh, an expression of, of skill, right? Being able to, do flips and cartwheels and, and jump kicks, like, um, pushing your body. Uh, you know, there's like with figure skating, I think there's a move where you, you jump in the air and you kind of spin, you know, and nowadays at a professional level, people spin three, four times, right. Uh, similar move in, in martial arts where you kick and you spin and, and you try to stick the landing. Uh, so to me, the, the challenge was, was kind of developing, your your body and mind and coordination to be able to achieve those things that that most people would see as physically impossible. Those were the things that drove me. Um, so in that sense, it's an individual sport. But also, if you were to train by yourself in a silo, uh, I think that would be it. Would be very hard having having your fellow um, class members and people kind of at your level pushing you. Uh, was a integral part of improving in team, you know, having great 
colleagues who were highly skilled and, and also very hungry and very ambitious um, definitely helped help me become a much better martial artist. So I think it is individual, but at the same time, if it, it wasn't, if that made sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Were there any, are there any ways that your martial arts experience shaped how you run your team at Impeccable? Like I'm thinking, you know, running your product design agency now and a team of, of employees that, you know, depend on the business. Um, that's a huge responsibility. I'm just curious if yeah. any, any of those days kind of influenced what you do now. Yeah, it's, well, I use, one, I use a lot of martial arts analogies. <laughs> um, because that's <laughs> Does what the team I know. like that? I don't know if they like it, but it's, <laughs> it's what it is. They, that's what they know from me. Sure. Um, I definitely, I don't shy away from the grind and hard work. I think a lot of people give up very fast and you see that even in, in the Bay area. I think one, one time I had the conversation with an entrepreneur and he, you know, he talked about, well, if, if this company doesn't happen in four years, I'm going to give up because the opportunity cost is too high. I'm like, I'm thinking, I mean, and by, by happening, he meant like unicorn or whatever. And I'm like, well, a lot of things take a long time to, to be where they are. Right. Like, Google now is, I don't know how many years in, but it's definitely, you know, like I think Amazon is probably like a 20 year old company now or same with Google and stuff that to get to this size needs definitely needs time. And, you know, in, in the early days, it, it doesn't look like much. So I think, you know, it's the same with martial arts when people, people are too impatient. And I think for me, maybe in the beginning, uh, I'm a lot more patient now with, with things. So like, you know, if we talk about partnerships, you know, building partnerships with another big company, I know that it's going to take years, you know, when people look at certain relationships we have with certain companies, I'll tell them, well, you know, you're looking at this at year six, you know, like this is, this took time to build this relationship with this company. Uh, you're coming in right now and you're seeing like, oh, wow, but this was not an overnight thing. Um, so with, with martial arts it's when when new students come in and at some point i taught too it wasn't just uh being a student but i i was also involved in teaching and you know people come in and they see they watch a kung fu movie and they see all the cool stuff and they immediately want to do the cool stuff well they can't do the cool stuff until you you know you can't fly until you learn how to crawl and walk and people are very impatient and they want to just start flying but if you can't crawl and walk you're you're not going to be a very good flyer so you have to teach people the basics and, and kind of do that grind of putting in the work of of crawling and walking before they can fly so so that's kind of what my perspective i bring you know like i guess it's you could call it wisdom right like nothing's going to happen overnight and you just have to put in the work yeah tempered me i guess <laughs> yeah it seems like you have a stronger threshold for being patient and understanding that there are certain things that just take hard work over time and cannot happen instantly overnight i think yeah that's a perspective that i think i think by default we don't have maybe as humans and so it sounds yeah. like you were able to to learn that yeah yeah 
And I think with VC, I think you, you, you know, you can, you people, people brute force that, right? Like people brute force acquiring customers, but then they sometimes find out that while their product is not, the retention is not great, right? We shoved all these customers in and then they realize, well, we don't have a good product yet, but because we had capital, we just bought our users, right? And uh, so sometimes I think people get stuff in the wrong order because of that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I wonder how much of the of this for you is that Midwestern part of it, like totally. <laughs> I always so, feel Midwestern that. to a fault. <laughs> yeah, that Midwestern work ethic. That's what they call it, right? They call it, yeah, that, that phrase comes up a lot, you know, and, and you can always like, sometimes in the barrier, it's like, you joke, it's like, oh, you kind of like, oh, that guy's hardworking. Oh, that's because he's from the Midwest or, you know, <laughs> or that kind of, kind of, kind of lazy as a little Californian or something. I don't know. But yeah. So you were in the Bay Area. Now you've moved back to Chicago. How does that feel like you talked earlier about sort of that pressure you felt around you in the Bay Area while you were building. It, do you feel like that's relieved now or is that part of the reason you moved back? So I, if we're being honest, I struggle with this too. I struggled with this. I know intrinsically I'm making the right decision. It's very logical. It's the right move, right? Like I, like everyone, I've just been working from home in the Bay Area. So, like, why why be in the Bay Area? Like, I'm, I'm not seeing anyone. And I've also noticed the people that we work with, our clients, even the individuals at those companies, they're getting the heck out of Dodge. You know, they're, they're moving themselves. Uh, and then, you know, I, part of the reason, there's many reasons to be back here, friends, family, my sister's here, um, She's got some young kids and I thought, yeah, I think about, you know, there's this, I think, what is it? Jeff Bezos kind of regret minimization frame, framework, right? Kind of relating to that. It's like, well, if I were to kind of look back on my life, what am I going to possibly regret? And um, for me, you know, so my wife and I don't, don't have any kids. Um, we, we are, you know, we have a furry dog, uh, you know, a furry child, we call him. We have a dog that's, you know, that's our fur, fur child. But other than that, we, we, we don't have any you know, kids. And one of the things that I think I would regret for sure is not having a relationship with, with my, my sister's kids when, while they're young. You know, and they're, they're at an age now where, you know, Uncle Peck is still cool. <laughs> but, you know, let's say I move back 10 years from now and they're all kind of, you know, teenagers, kind of rebellious teenagers, and they don't care about adults, like, okay, I'm, right now, they, they still want to know me, and know they want to hang out with me, and they want to spend time with me, I, I will, I think I will regret not spending that time with them, and so I think the time is kind of right, in terms of, well, if I don't need to be in the Bay, and everybody's getting the heck out of Dodge, I, I might as well, too. And then spend, spend, you know, be with, with my family. And also it's ironic in the sense that, so our company is completely virtual now. And it was 85%, you know, mostly virtual, meaning we had a, the only office we had was the small Bay Area office, which I went to and a few other people went to. But most of the company 
um, work from home or work from anywhere. You know, we, we have team members who've traveled to like, who lived in Taiwan for like half a year or like lived in Thailand for three, three months out of the year because they wanted to travel abroad. And we've kind of made that possible because I was like, as long as you show up to meetings, you do your work, I really don't care. And you have fast internet and you can, <laughs> you know, do yeah. that. I really don't care where you, where you, you know, and then we had one guy who, you know, at some point, his background was Costa Rica and he spent, you know, three months in Costa Rica. It was totally fine. So I felt like I designed, I built a company where everybody else could live from anywhere, but I was tethered, you know, mm -hmm. to the Bay and I was tethered to the clients and I was tethered. So like, great. I built a great company for everybody else, but I'm the one who's kind of stuck. And I was like, well, well, that's not fair. Um, so I decided, okay, well, and I think everybody was supportive of that. You know, I, I, I made sure like, hey, how do we feel about this? Because it's like, is this going to hurt the company long-term? I, I really went through that a lot. I like, you know, I'm, I'm the face and I have these relationships, face-to-face -face relationships with our clients in the Bay. Um, is this going to hurt us long-term? Well, in the short long-term, I mean, a lot of companies have expressed that they're going to be remote. They're going to work from home or whatever. No, no, no office till at least mid 2021. And I think that if we don't have a vaccine or don't have an answer, it's just going to get extended. So I think the timing is right to, to kind of, you know, given all the conditions. Um, but I still think have that irrational, fear of is is this the right decision but I, I do know that i i would regret not not having a relationship with with my niece and nephew for example that's beautiful i i think it's with covid and it's it sounds like you're experiencing something similar to me it's just that like it has had its ways of sort of reminding us of what's truly important with and I think it's doing that through these lifestyle changes, but yeah, you know, I'm reminded of that as you describe this example of how you can now take this opportunity of something you might have regretted of spending time with family members that maybe you didn't have a chance to spend so much time with before. And yeah, that's, that's yeah, I mean, that's great. That's <laughs> I, I love that. I'm not familiar with the Jeff Bezos regret framework, but I love that what you just described. Right, yeah, you know? it's like regret minimization, right? Like, he, what is he going to regret more, right? So he's going to avoid the stuff okay. that he's going to regret more. Um, kind of on a similar note, I think at some point, you know, I, I had this realization during the time of, of it, impeccable that it's been. It, at some point I was just so focused inwardly on, on what I wanted to accomplish, you know, with my startup life and stuff that I realized it had been 10 years since I went back to Thailand, which is where I'm from. And I have family there. I have cousins there. I had, you know, I had like nephews that I'd never even met cause they were, you know, they're six years old and they were born and I'd never even met them. And, uh, so I just felt like, uh, that was not a good thing that I wanted. Um, and, and being, being an entrepreneur, I think, so people talk about work-life balance. I, um, what is that? Uh, I think the way I think about it is kind of work-life integration. So I was like, okay, I'm not, it's been like 10 years since I've been back to Thailand. How do I, 
if it's not integrated somehow, it just doesn't get fitted in, if that makes sense. Um, so one year, you know, after 10 years, I went back to Thailand. And then during that time, I, I got connected to like Startup Thailand. I, I, I got invited at some point to, to speak at Th Startup Thailand. And, uh, you know, I got to see some of the startups there. And I, I thought to myself, well, oh, okay, there's, there's good talent here. The designs are good. The app building is good. You know, maybe there's something there. What if I, you know, started hiring folks in, in Thailand to help, um, you know, uh, as part of our remote team? So we started hiring some folks. Also around that time, I think one of my friends in Thailand complained about the state of UX in Thailand, and he, he just took on a role at a very prominent company and he was bitching and moaning about you know the lack of design talent in thailand i was like hello you know what we do here um and then you know the conversations went a little further and and eventually we we started working with this company and started helping them um but the beauty of that is that, you know, as soon as that happened where I had people in Thailand, I had clients in Thailand, well, I had a reason to be there, you know, for work. Um, so I started going there like once a week, once a year, twice a year, you know, like uh, one year, I think I went there like three times, you know, every, every four months. And it was funny because like, well, my parents who, who are now retired in Thailand, they get to see me all the time. And, um, that, that work-life integration, um, I, I would say, yeah, I, I'm grateful for the privilege of, of being able to be in a position that I could integrate my work, my work life and my personal life, uh, just folding it in and overlapping that so that, you know, I, I make this trip, I, I bond with our team members, I see clients, and then I get to spend time on the weekends with, and evenings with, with, uh, family, um, at one point, my, my cousin's wife mentioned, like, hey, we, I see you more than I see my own family. So it's like some, <laughs> some relatives was like, you're coming back more often than I'm seeing my own family. And thought that was hilarious. Um, yeah, yeah. So just integrating that, that, you know, I think recognizing that I was a workaholic, that I just generally prioritize work, like, I was just, it just wasn't going to happen. Right. I just didn't know how to fit in family. So by, by just integrating that just made it, made it possible. Do you feel like now you have it pretty well integrated where it doesn't feel like you're, you know, on the wrong balance? Well, with this move back, you know, I have uh, my sister, my younger sister lives in, in Chicago and, uh, you know, she's planted her life here. So it wasn't, I think by moving back here, you know, I, I can be back and have a relationship with her and her kids. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm improving on that, on, on that aspect that I think, you know, normally in, 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 in any normal situation, maybe, you know, you see, you see maybe your siblings, you know, for Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that, where now I think we can, if we want it, we could see them every weekend, right? Yeah, that's gotta that's gotta feel good. Were you and your sister close growing up? Like, does this feel like a nice homecoming? Yeah, yeah, we we were always close. Um, we're five years apart, but 
yeah, I think, you know, as kids, we're, we're close, but then, you know, as, as adults, you, you kind of drift apart and you get your yeah. own life and, you know, she's got her kids and her family and, you know, kind of people just drift. And sometimes it's, you know, you kind of want, as you reflect on your life, you want to, you know, you don't want to have any regrets and, uh, yeah, I, I want to spend more time with family feels like that that concept of not having regrets is kind of on your mind is that sort of like your something I think you're thinking as you about? get older yeah maybe you know um i would agree with that I, I think young people they they're like right in your 20s you're you get disposable income you party you go to clubs you do your thing you get like whatever you get smashed every weekend and then not that i did that um but yeah, as you get older and reflect on life, you feel like, well, what's what's really important, right? Absolutely, yeah. I totally share that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what? How? Kind of turning it back to you. What? You you mentioned that. Yeah, as you get older, certain things are more important. What? Um, what decisions have you made that kind of uh, similar to that? I see it a lot through my kids. I have um, he, my son just turned ten, and my daughter will be six next month. And so I just think so much about the time I spend with them and like, like my son's old enough now a decade where I already sometimes struggled to remember, you know, him as a baby or him as a, you know, the terrible twos, although he was terrible threes, but, and just think like, imagine like 20 years from now, like, you know, and I think about my parents, like I'm 35 and I have two siblings. So my parents like, when my mom remembers certain things about our childhood, I'm like blown away that she remembers any of it. Cause I'm like, how, like, that's amazing. Cause there's just so much time and experiences and memories you share together that, um, so I, I just think about, I don't ever want to regret like not soaking in every single moment I possibly have the opportunity to do, which is why I, you know, I totally relate to that idea you have of, you know, coming back to Chicago to be with your, your nephews and your sister and all that. And just, again, because you have that opportunity now, I love that you, you seized it and you're able to now spend time with them that mm -hmm. maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. I think one thing that, you know, COVID has accelerated is this, is this work remote or work from home. And we were definitely kind of at the forefront of that pre COVID. We were mostly remote anyways. And, you know, it, it is great for, if, if your if family is important to you, right? Like you, usually, you know, the, the division is right. You, you go to work at an office, maybe eight hours a day, whatever. And then you come home and you spend time with family and that's, you know, that's, that's great. But having, having time at home working and kind of been having agents, you know, being able to like be a adult and time shift and do whatever is necessary. You might be able to get more moments out of, you know, that you otherwise wouldn't have. And I think that's, that's great for, for society where, you know, if you can have lunch with your kids that you otherwise wouldn't have or, or something like that, I think that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think COVID, there's so much terror that comes with it, but I think it inadvertently also like taught us a lot about the way we interact as humans and the way that we interact with the planet and all that. And I think it maybe will inform some change, you know, both 
along maybe you know how we interact with the planet, but also just about how we think about yeah the way we spend our days and the way we the time we spend with who and that kind of thing. Yeah. Peck, I'm so glad you're back in Chicago, and I'm glad that you're going to be able to spend more time with family. Thank you so much for for taking the time today to chat, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. I I really like what you're doing, and just listening to... I I enjoy the podcast because, well, one, it's some of these people I know, and I'm learning uh, a different angle, you know, like Alex Holmes' podcast, Robbie Abed, like Amber, like, it's like, Oh, at domain, like I know these people and sometimes I, you know, you, you lose touch and you don't really know what happened with them and then their inner struggles. And I think this, what you're doing, uh, capturing this side of their life that they, you know, and having human conversations is great. So thank you for inviting me. (laughs) So still a little bit unreal, you know, this is not, (laughs) It just feels unreal. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Before you go, I would love to know what you had for breakfast this morning. Just send me an email, tim at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, and let me know what you had for breakfast this morning. Thanks.